This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey everyone, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we have a special guest, Jack Canfield, who is the co-founder of Chicken Soup for the Soul, co-author of the first 150 or more Chicken Soup for the Soul titles, and a multiple New York Times bestselling author of so many other books besides Chicken Soup for the Soul, including The Success Principles, The Power of Focus, The Aladdin Factor, Dare to Win, The Key to Living the Law of Attraction, Living the Success Principles, Coaching for Breakthrough Success, and many more. Jack is a highly influential motivational speaker and success coach, in addition to being an author. He has a master's degree in psychological education from Harvard, and he's used that knowledge to train more than 4,500 Canfield Success Principles trainers in 107 countries. He's been the featured guest on more than 1,000 TV and radio shows. He has 2.5 million subscribers and followers on social media. I could go on and on, but you can see it all on his website, which is jackcanfield.com. And most importantly, and I know this because we took over Chicken Soup for the Soul from him, and he graciously handed it over to us, and I try so hard to continue the legacy that he left for us, but Jack is a real mensch. He's a genuinely nice guy, and we're so pleased to have a continuing relationship with him 15 years after he sold the Chicken Soup for the Soul trademark and library to us. So I continue to use the power of storytelling to improve people's lives, and that is what Jack does every day as well. So without further ado, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast again, Jack Canfield. Well, hello. Glad to join you. Thanks for inviting me, Amy. Appreciate it. So 30 years. It's been 30 years since you got <laughs> that first Chicken Soup for the Soul book published or I guess really more like run off by the printer, right? There you go. And it, it, yeah, it's been incredible what has happened since then. So I know you didn't know this was going to happen, but I think that you and Mark had pretty big goals when you got that first book printed, didn't you? We did. We really wanted to change the world. And our tagline was changing the world one story at a time. And we decided we wanted to reach a billion people by the year 2020. That was our 2020 vision. And we sold somewhere over half a billion books. And most of those books, like in China and India, a place like that, are read by more than one person. And so I think we've achieved at least the impact of that. Maybe we haven't got a billion books yet, but we will shortly, I'm sure. And we, we believed it was possible. We visualized it. We affirmed it. We made magazine covers, mock magazine covers, saying, you know, 
Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen sell one billion chicken soup for the soul books. And we put those around our office and we had our staff doing that. We would white out the, uh, back before there was like, you know, all the things you can do now with a computer, we would take white out. Older people can remember we used, when you made typing mistakes and we'd white out the number one book on the New York Times list and we'd type ours in there and then we'd duplicate that, put that around the office. And so it was a goal and we did everything we could to do it. It was like, as you probably know, it wasn't instant success. I think it was 14 months before we hit a New York. We hit a bestseller. This was Washington Post, number 15, after 14 months of doing five things a day to promote the book. And then it climbed up to number one on the New York Times list a few months later and stayed there for, I think, three years, the first book. So there was one point where we won a Guinness Book World Record for having seven books on the New York Times list on the same weekend. So it was a, it was a journey. Yeah, now we're banned. Now we're banned from the New York Times bestseller list. Why is that? Because the whole time that we've owned the company, 15 years, we've been banned from the list, and we were told that they banned us from the list even prior to 2008, and it was because there were, what, seven books on the list at once, and they just couldn't have that anymore. And so they changed the rules and they said that they wouldn't put us on the list anymore because we were part of a series. And I said, well, so is Harry Potter, a series. I mean, but anyway, we don't get on that list anymore, but we're always on the book scan list. Book scan, you know, measures point of sale at retailers. And those are true statistics, you know, like you either sold the book at a cash register or you didn't. And so every one of our books becomes a Nielsen book scan bestseller. Oh, Glad to hear that. Yeah. No, it's it's funny. I, uh, you know, you talked about thirty years. One of the the interesting parts of being thirty years when the first book came out is that I'm seventy eight now. I'll be seventy nine this summer, and I get these women that are thirty five, thirty eight years old come up to me and I go like, "Oh yeah, I read your book when I was in high school." <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, you know. they still do. They love preteen soul and teenage soul, and then exactly. you know now they're thirty five, and I say, "Well, hey, wait, we're still here for you." We've got tons of books for you now that you're a grown-up. You know, it, yeah. it didn't end when you were a teenager. So we're trying to get the awareness out there among those people who loved preteen soul and teenage soul so much that we are still here for you. We have grown up with you. We're still very topical and relevant. No, I'm sure you are. And I was just saying it makes me feel old sometimes. <laughs> oh, see. yeah. Well, I'm 66, so I'm coming right up behind you. And there you go. They look at us and they think we're the same age. So. Anyway, but yeah, can you believe we've now got the 30th anniversary edition going on sale? And what we did was we took your original Chicken Soup for the Soul book and we added 30 new stories to it. We added 20 of them for the 20th anniversary, and then we added 10 more for the 30th anniversary. So overall, we have 30 stories that were not in the original Chicken Soup for the Soul And Mm -hmm. it's great because we have, you know, some of today's thought leaders in the book. And of course, you wrote another story for the book 10 years ago, which is still in there. So we're excited about our 30th anniversary and this new book. I know for me, it's been an incredible privilege publishing these books. And it has really changed me as a person, you know, reading those tens of thousands of true personal stories from regular people. It's changed me a lot. I think I've learned a lot more about how people work and thus how I work. And you're still out there collecting stories 
for all of your motivational speaking and your subsequent books. How does it affect you to hear all these stories from people? Have you found that you have changed as a person also? Oh, yeah. I'm much more compassionate, I think, because of all the stories that I read about people that were compassionate and overcame obstacles and expressed love. You know, like I go back to the first book about Bobsy, who was this little kid who was in a hospital and his parents, he was sick. And his parents said, where do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, that fireman. And so they went to the Make-A-Wish Foundation because they said the kid was terminal. And they had a fireman come over to the, his room and meet him. And then they decided to make him honorary fire chief for the day. And he get to go out on these fire calls. And he lived much longer than anyone thought he would live. And and finally, when he was about to die, they knew he wasn't going to make it through the night. They called the fire department and they sent over a bunch of firemen to be by his bedside. And he looked up and said, does this mean I'm a real fireman? And they said, you were always a real fireman in your heart, Bobsy. And, you know, you read that and I always use that at the end of a talk. And I'll say, you know, there's a little Bobsy inside of you that hasn't had their dreams come true either. And tonight when you're brushing your teeth, I want you to look in the mirror and see that little boy and do whatever you would do. We would do it for make a wish foundation kid, but are you willing to do it for yourself? And so those stories inspire me to live life more fully. And I think the other thing I've learned is that there's more good people in the world than there are bad, that so many people are striving to make a difference, to love each other, to help each other. You know, we did chicken soup for the volunteer soul and books like that and, and so forth. And you find all these people that just devoted part of their life to making a difference in the lives of others. And yet our media and the politicians are always trying to divide us against each other, make us fear each other based on their own motivations. But the average person that I meet, they all relate to chicken soup for the soul. We even did chicken soup for the prisoner's soul at one point. And all these prisoners were sharing stories with each other to inspire each other while they were in prison. And it, it, it awakened the humanity in them, you know. So I think it's important. And I think the other thing I learned is there's inspiration everywhere. It's every day it's happening, whether it's the Malalas of the world or the Greta Thunbergs or movies like Rocky and people overcoming obstacles. You know, I just re-saw Into the Wild, the story of Cheryl Strayed, you know, played by Weiss. Witherspoon and she goes on this downward spiral of her mother's death and then she goes and hikes the Pacific Crest Trail which is an amazing story and so a lot of times I'll say you know like a movie that's a chicken soup for the soul story because it has that chicken soup moment where you're just the rugs pulled out from under you it makes you cry gives you goosebumps inspires you makes you believe anything is possible and you know it's fun knowing the books have done that all around the world I think over 50 languages we're in now, something like that. Places that you would never go individually, but the books go there. And I'll just show one last thing that inspired me. I was on a panel with a woman, oh, I'm forgetting her name right now, but she used to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife, Maria Shriver. And she said her dad used to buy chicken soup books every Christmas and give them to the kids and the family. And everyone would get a different book, depending on what they were into, horse lover's soul, sports fan soul, whatever it might be. And to know that those books were reaching up into the senators' homes and congressmen's homes and governors' homes and movie stars' homes and that kind of thing, very fulfilling to know that you've had such a, an impact. And you continue to do it. I mean, the books you're producing are just amazing. You've, you've really taken in the legacy that you've provided for me, to know that I was started this and you're carrying it on in such a beautiful way is also inspiring to know that this will probably never end. It'll, someone will keep doing it forever. 
Yeah. And I always find new topics that I think will be great for our readers. And it's allowed me to explore things that I'm personally interested in. Like we have a book coming out in July called Get Out of Your Comfort Zone, because I think that's so important. It's just so empowering Mm. when we try things that are slightly scary or new to us. Well, we're going to take a quick break for an ad, and then we're going to come back. And I want to talk to you about your amazing book, The Success Principles, which I love your subtitle, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. So we'll be right back to talk about that. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We're back with Jack Canfield, and I'm really looking forward to talking about Jack's huge bestseller, The Success Principles. I've started reading the book, and I can see how this could help anyone. It's not just for people who are looking for success in business. It's success in your whole life. And even the chapter titles contain great advice. Like the first three chapters of the book are take 100% responsibility for your life. Chapter two is be clear why you're here. And chapter three is decide what you want. And it goes on from there. So I can't imagine how anyone could start implementing the advice in this book and not experience some kind of major change in their lives. So Jack, tell me about the success principles and give us a little taste of what we could find in that book. Sure. After we sold the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand and all the past library to you guys, I really had some time to take off and say, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And I remember sitting in bed with my six-year-old son one morning. He was playing on his computer, some computer game, and I was probably doing whatever I do, answering emails or whatever. And I started thinking about, he asked me a question. He said, Dad, how come we have a bigger house than all my friends? And I said, well, we have more money. And he said, why? And I said, well, I wrote this series of books that was very successful, and that's why. And he said, well, how come you're more successful than other people? And I said, well, I've been following these principles since I was about 20 years old that I learned from this man in W. Clement Stone. W. Clement Stone taught me these principles of success, and I've been adding to them my whole life. Things like goal setting, affirmations, visualization, taking action, responding to feedback, you know, having a mastermind group, having an accountability partner, asking for what you want, rejecting rejection. As you probably know, Chicken Soup for the Soul was rejected by 144 publishers before the original publisher published it. And so this idea that if I'd given up after 100, you and I would not be sitting here today having this conversation because that series never would have happened. And so that's one of those important principles is perseverance. When you hear no, say next instead of like, I give up. So basically, I was sitting in the computer. I started typing in all these principles and it it really, I wanted to write a book 
there'll be a comprehensive encyclopedia of everything you need to know to be successful in any endeavor, whether it was work, sports, relationships, making more money, having better health, creating social change. And I've been teaching that in seminars online and in person, in books, training the trainers. We're training, as you mentioned, we got 4,500 trainers in 107 countries that are teaching this work, both online and interactive live seminars. And, you know, it all started for me. I mean, when I was teaching high school in Chicago, it was an all-black inner-city school. Everyone had low self-esteem. They didn't believe they could get out of the ghetto, if you will. And I met this guy, W. Clement Stone, who was uh, very successful and teaching these principles through his foundation. I started applying them in my classroom, and I won the Teacher of the Year Award. That was my first year of teaching. And then I started teaching other teachers how to teach this stuff. And then I worked at a job course center teaching kids who dropped out of school. And they all went on to be successful. And then this person said, why don't you come to UMass, University of Massachusetts in Amherst, where we have a psychological education program, work on your doctorate and so forth. So I, I never finished my doctorate. I dropped out because I wrote a book while I was still there in the program called 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in the Classroom. And I was teaching educators. And this one woman said, yeah, my husband's company needs this. I said, well, I never worked in a company. She said, they're just big kids in suits. Now go over and teach them. So I did. And <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And it worked and they loved it, you know. So basically, what I teach is a combination lock. If you know the combination to a lock, it doesn't matter if you're male, female, young, old, white, black, brown, yellow, whatever, conservative or liberal, educated, got a PhD, don't have a PhD, that lock has to open if you know the combination. But the lock has a series of numbers that you need to know all the numbers, but you also have to have them in the right order. So a lot of people are doing some of the things that we talk about here, but they're not doing them in the right order. So we say take 100% responsibility for your life. No blaming, no complaining, no excuse making. I teach a formula called E plus R equals O. Events happen. You have a response to that event. It produces an outcome. All your outcomes are the result of how you responded to an earlier event. What did you think? What did you do? What did you not do? What did you say? What did you not say? What did you imagine? So basically, I studied the most successful people on the planet. I interviewed 75 super, super successful people athletes, CEOs, uh, generals in the army, celebrity actors, and so forth, and found out they all have the same mindset. They believe everything's possible. They believe they can do it. They believe if they don't know how, they'll find out how. And they all took 100% responsibility. They weren't blamers. They weren't complainers. They weren't excuse makers. So then look at, do you have a purpose? You know, what is your purpose? You're very clear about your purpose. Many people have no sense of what their purpose is. Once you have a purpose, Mine's to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. Chicken soup type stories inspire them. Stuff I have in my success book empowers them. And then to live in a context of love and joy. Then you create a vision. What would your vision be if you were to achieve this purpose? Mine is like have a billion people experiencing this work and so forth. Have goals. How much by when? A book by this date. This many Facebook followers, etc. Then you have to believe it's possible. Have affirmations. I'm so happy and grateful. I'm now a best-selling author. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm making $100,000 a year or a million dollars a year. Then you visualize it. You visualize it by closing your eyes and seeing it as if it's real. I've helped Olympic athletes earn bronze medals and so forth just with this one technique. A mastermind group. 
where you work in partnership with people. You get together once a, like once a month, whatever, and you share ideas and you hold each other accountable. Having a team of contributors like you do, readers like Barbara and Diet, and you know, we always had a team around us, so we couldn't have done Chicken Soup for the Soul. Many, 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 many co-authors, etc. And then taking action. You've got to take action. And there's two kinds of action: inspired action and what we call obvious actions. Want to be a doctor? Got to go to medical school. But inspiration is when you're standing at line at Starbucks and all of a sudden you think, I should talk to that guy. I don't know why. And then you find out he's the uh, director of admissions for the Stanford Medical School. Well, if you hadn't acted on that inspiration, it wouldn't happen. Ask, ask, ask. 144 people we asked to publish our book. Reject, rejection. When they say no, you say next. So I could go on. I won't go all through all the entire book. But the point being, all of these principles, if you do them in the right order, and you do them the right way, then what happens is I promise you, you can have success in any area of your life. You know, I love all that. Now I'm wondering if I should ask you this next question, because maybe it would be out of order in terms of the sequence of things you're supposed to go through and the success principles. But I was going to ask you about affirmations, because sure. I know you're a big proponent of them. What are some good examples of affirmations and how should people use them? Well, you know, what I learned from Stone way back when is they have to start with the words I am, because everything you say I am, your subconscious takes as a command. Also, the universe, if you believe in the law of attraction, is listening, if you will. God is listening, source energy, infinite intelligence. And so you're declaring that you are this, and then you're saying, I'm so happy and grateful. So you want to have two feeling words in your affirmation. I think happy and grateful are two great words. I, if I gave you a million dollars, you'd probably be happy and you'd probably be grateful. And then I'll say, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now celebrating the sale of one million chicken soup and soul books. Or I'm so happy and grateful I'm now celebrating weighing 185 pounds or less. I'm so happy and grateful I just completed my first 10K run or the Boston Marathon. I'm so happy and grateful I'm now graduating from college or driving my new Tesla down the I-95 highway. So you basically describe it as if it's already happening in the present tense. And then what you want to do, and this is a big thing that most people don't know, when you're saying your affirmation, close your eyes after you say it and visualize what you would see if you'd already achieved it as you looked out through your eyes. So you'd see them handing you the certificate of graduation. You'd see the front of your car driving down the freeway. You'd see the tape at the end of the Boston Marathon and you're running through it. You know, you'd look at your scale, you see 185 pounds or less or whatever your goal was. And you want to do it three times a day. And here's the kicker. When you visualize and affirm, feel the feelings you would feel if you'd already accomplished it. It's the fuel in the car. Your goal is the destination. The affirmation is the automobile, but the fuel that makes that automobile move is your feelings, your emotion. There was a study done at HeartMath Institute where they had DNA in test tubes, human DNA. Not sure how they got that, but they did. We know that DNA is a helical structure that can wind and unwind. And when you start dying, it starts unwinding because the little thing at the end that keeps it all together starts to fray over time. Anyway, the point being, they said they got people to intend that the DNA would unwind. And they visualized it and they affirmed it and they thought it, but nothing happened. Then they had them just send love and gratitude to the DNA, nothing happened. Then they imagined it unwinding while they were sending love and gratitude to the DNA, and it unwound. 
So when we're ever in a high state of love, joy, gratitude, appreciation, which are the highest vibrations we can be in emotionally, and we're intending, and we're affirming, and we're visualizing, that's when everything works. So most people are leaving one of those parts out. And the last thing I would say is you want to do a new affirmation for a minimum of 30 days. Because what happens, it starts to create new neural pathways in the brain so that when you think of something, your first response is, I can do it, I am going to graduate, as opposed to, I'm too old, I don't know enough, I won't, which are the old neural pathways. The old ones will die out, but only if you replace them with a new one. You can't just take the old one out. The law of replacement, the law of the vacuum will suck it back in. So you have to replace it with this new one and do it for 30 days. If you miss a day in that 30-day period, the next day is day one again. There's some research on NASA from that. I won't go into that, but it's based on research. Wow. It sounds like I have to put my affirmations up on the, the mirror in my bathroom so I don't miss them. Yeah, do that. And here's an interesting thing. I read a book recently by the director of peak performance at West Point, our military academy. He teaches his students there, which are all the athletes that he's mainly in charge of, every time they go through a doorway to say their affirmation. Oh, that's a good way of remembering it. Yeah, and you might have to put a post-it on the doorframe for a while to remind you to do that, but after a while, it'll become a habit. Because think about how many doorways you go in and out of the bathroom three or four or five times a day, the bedroom, the kitchen, the dining room, the front of your house, the be- you know, you're coming back in, the offices and so forth. So you're going to say your affirmation quite a few times when you do that. Just do that little pause, feel the feeling, see the, the visualization. It could take you five seconds. But the point being that that repetition is really, really key. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. And the doorway is pretty symbolic anyway. You know, it's like the doorway to the new you. Well, Jack, thank you for joining us today as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of what you started. And I hope everybody will visit your website, jackcanfield.com, to learn more about the success principles and all the other things that you have available to people to help them achieve their dreams. So thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity to share with you today, Amy. I appreciate it. I'm Amy Newmark. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. And please join me next time for two stories about how you should keep dating your spouse from our latest bestseller, Chicken Soup for the Soul, All You Need is Love. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.